Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Swing high from ball, built to right center, and the Braves have won it! There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. A walk-off homer from Freeman, and the Braves win it! He is! Braves win! Braves win! Braves win! Ball. It's a walk-off! Acuna sends us home with a 5-4 victory! Well, football is over. Uh, it's starting. I'm starting to see a little bit more sunshine in the sky, maybe just a hint of warmer weather here and there. Not too much. I, I know that we got people listening all over the country. But ultimately, I'm just seeing those little telltale signs that spring and more importantly, spring training baseball and much more importantly, spring training Braves baseball is right around the corner. And we here at Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves, could not be more excited about that. I'm Ricky Mass from MLB. Dot com alongside director of Braves alumni relations, Greg McMichael and uh, Greg. Boy, there's so much to talk about on today's show. First of all, we've got a, an awesome guest from the Braves front office. Uh, the Whenever we have somebody from the front office, those are usually among my favorites because I just love to see how, how their process works and what they do. Uh, Dana Brown, vice president of scouting for the Atlanta Braves, our guest today, and really, really fascinating look at his job, what he does, and also a very, a really great discussion um, uh, about African-Americans in baseball, both on the field and in the front office. Dana, when we've done now, this is our third year where we've uh, had Black History Month, and we've wanted to have episodes with that theme and talking about Black History Month. Of course, 2019, we had Hank Aaron on, uh, as well as Marquise Grissom. Last year, Bob Kendrick from the Negro League Museum. And and this year, we, we've got Dane on. Hopefully, we're, we're working on another guest for next week. We're pretty much got that confirmed, but I don't want to reveal it until we've actually got it uh, a, a tape. But uh, great discussion with Dana. Um so we'll get into Dana. I guess we would be remiss if we also didn't get into a little bit of news made by the Braves front office this week with Marcelo Zuna coming back home. Uh, boy, this was just, I think everybody across the board in the front office, on the field, the fans out in Braves country, we're all just tickled to death that, that Marcelo Zuna is going to be a Atlanta Brave for the next four years, potentially five. Um, I, I, 
just the social media side of me, of course, was ecstatic because I knew that's what the fans were wanting. And as my fan, as, as my, with my fan hat on, that's what I wanted to. I wanted Marcel back. Um, you could just tell both. Obviously, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, his I mean, my goodness, the man flirted with a triple crown last year in the <laughs> National League. Um, but then off the field, I think what he brings in the clubhouse, Alex touched on it. And you could see that he's what he brings off the field is just as important what he brings on the field. So. I don't know about you, Greg. What do you think? You excited to have Marcel back? I'm going to guess yes. Yeah, well, I'm in the fan category, so I think fans were the most excited, number one, and a close second was Freddie Freeman. So um, (laughs) I think uh, anytime you have a guy hitting behind you, you're just going to make your MVP candidate uh, potentially another MVP. So I'm calling Freddie uh, back-to-back MVPs now. So – Nice. I, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I, I do get excited this time of year because I love not only, I love pro football, so it's over. So I kind of skip right to spring training. Um, I've got things blooming at my house, daffodils, uh, see the buds on the dogwoods, which, you know, that's the Tennessee state, state tree. So um, I've really? got those plant planted all over my yard and I can't wait for those to pop. And, but yeah, this is uh, Valentine's day is usually when we report it. So we're coming really close to that. I'm I'm just so excited that we've got no, we got our team back intact. We got a couple more things, some house cleaning. I think you talked about it with some bullpen and maybe a couple bench players, but for the most part, our team's back intact and and uh, we're ready to get back after it. And uh, so, Braves fans, man, we should just be uh, locked and loaded. Alex delivered. And uh, I think, you know, I think some people were a little upset last year that we didn't, we didn't, we started off with a bang. And then I think he just put an exclamation point on, uh, on this off season. So good for him, excited for those guys. And I can't wait for it to get started. Yeah. Same here. We're less than a week away from the guys reporting down there. So we're about a week away and uh, really pumped. By the way, the dogwood is the state flower of Virginia also, by the way. So really another thing. Your Tennessee Volunteers and my Virginia Cavaliers could face each other in March Madness, and that could be the end of Behind the Braves. So let's savor it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, thank we will goodness. watch that together. No, no. Thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness baseball is much more important to both of us. So uh, we'll, we'll let that uh, get us through. Uh, yeah, what more can you say? The re- reaction by everybody for Marcel has just been awesome. I mean, it's just the press conference, by the way, was maybe the funniest, at least in baseball. Baseball, funniest press, press conference I've ever watched. Marcel turned the tables on Alex and started grilling him a little bit. And then Alex was giving it back to him. And it was, I've never seen that many people, reporters laughing on a press conference and everybody just having a good time. So that I That's think awesome. that probably speaks volumes to just how, how excited everybody is that even on the press conference, it was just, everybody was laughing and having a good time. So. Yeah. Is he going to come up with a new, new sign this year was mix it up last year. So is he going to, is he already thinking about what is new? his new sign is he had well really if you think of it he had two in a 60 game season in the postseason he started to mix it up thing and then the selfies taking the the oh that's right that's right yeah which by the way if you if maybe if you didn't see we announced uh that uh bobblehead giveaway i believe the last day of the regular season this year is going to be a mars selfie uh bobblehead and i think that got the it's it's pretty good looking you know sometimes the bobbleheads i'll kind of look at the 
the face and everything go, that doesn't look like that guy. Yeah. Well, like that's like an alien or something, but it looks like, <laughs> like it's really good. He's making the selfie pose. He's got the neon yellow or green nice. yellow with sleeve on. So uh, excited about that. Um, uh, but yeah, just man, baseball's almost back and we're, we're ready to get, get rolling with it. Um, and to that end, having today's guests on Dana Brown, as we mentioned, uh, vice president of scouting for the Braves. Um, just such an interesting job. I mean, and I touched on it a little bit and we touched on it with some of our questions there, but just, just the sheer task of scouting thousands, I mean, potential thousands of players. And as, as Dana touches on, they'll end up seeing around a thousand in a typical year. But on the, just names on a, on a, on pages, you've got thousands of names out there across the United States, across the country, that you've got to look at, that you've got to see, and then you've got to gather reports on them, and then narrow that down. And okay, what do we see them again? This? See them again, and then cross check them. And okay, they got the talent. Do they have the mental ability to? to you got to grade them. them. Yeah, you the measurables. You got to grade them out. Then you got to. You got to discern, you know, who has the highest, the highest grade and look, watch them again. And he said, watch them play another sport. They got to go see him play another sport. They got to watch him. He go to the games. They got to go to practices. These yeah, guys man. are all over the place. They're rain, snow, sunshine, dark mornings. I mean, they're everywhere and they're in all the communities. And yeah, we've got a lot of alumni that do that for a living. And these guys, man, they, they're, they're on the road. They're sleeping in, you know, Tom Modette, you know, is, is hanging out with them. <laughs> Motel six, you know, these guys aren't staying at, they're not like the big league boys. They're not staying out at the, you know, down at the battery at, uh, at the Omni, you know, they're not, they're not doing that. Right. Well, it's, it's, I was just thinking about like, I, I've, I've kind of gotten out of fantasy sports altogether. Uh, but back in the day, before I started working in baseball, I was pretty, me and my buddies back home were all really heavily into fantasy football in our league. And I would think about just the amount of prep I would do for a, a silly fantasy football draft and how much I cared and how much reading through, like, and then trying to go and doing mock drafts and going with like, okay, how am I going to draft? Just the amount of like, not stress, but just planning and stuff I would put into just a silly little fantasy draft with my friends. I can't imagine actually doing this for a professional sports franchise where you've, you've got Dana's got a staff of nearly 30 people that he's got all over the, the country that are assembling all of this, this data, collecting all this data on all these players. It's just, it's mind boggling to me, but mm -hmm. you know, you listen to him talk and you see why he's in the position that he's in. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he knows his stuff. Um, so it just, uh, yeah, it's a great conversation with Dana. And I, I looked, I tried to see if you and, and Dana ever faced each other in the minors. It looks like you just missed each other a little bit, but you, you both kind of, came along at the same time in the game. Which yeah. Is cool to see. Hey, I, I've, these guys have so much data that I've actually called one of my buddies who's a scout and said, Hey, what's up with this kid? Why didn't he get drafted? Because the parents thought that there was a no, no brainer who's getting drafted. So I called up and I said, what's the date on him? When they told me I had to call back and say, listen, this is why you didn't get drafted because you, you know, it was this, 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 and this, because they, they do their homework. They know if they're going to spend money on you. They're going to, uh, it is, it is a big process. And I have a lot of respect for those guys. And we, we get a chance to talk and you'll find out, you know, when we, we talk with Dana, 
this guy, he, he gets after it and they do a lot of work and, um, it is a very important job for the Braves organization. There's a lot that rides on the kids that they see, the evaluation that they make, and the cross-checking that they do. Because you're talking about millions of dollars going out, and they really are the future of your ball club. Think about it. I mean, we know in football it's so openly when you miss on a couple first-round picks. Look at the Patriots miss on a couple first-round picks, and so therefore they miss the playoffs for the first time. Of course, Brady, Tom Brady may have had a little bit to do with that, but still, baseball is not so much out there because you're talking about we have this minor league system, but it, it really affects your organization. The international, um, the um, the kids that are drafted on a you know on a yearly basis, if you start missing, man, it, it really impacts what's going on at the big league level. Well, let's a great example. After Hank passed a couple of weeks ago, I went back and was listening to uh, some of our interview with him. And um, he was talking about in 1990 when he was still pretty heavily involved with the front office. And I think the general thought around that time was Todd Van Poppel should be the first overall pick. Of course, the Braves had the overall pick and Hank insisted, no, I think we need to go with this chipper kid. Basically, and and then if you go back and listen to that episode, Hank had a discussion with uh, Van Poppel's dad that uh, also helped him sway Hank towards towards Chipper, or he thinks it was Van Poppel. Um, but anyways, just going back to that one decision. Now, yes, it was a it was a one one. I mean, it was first overall pick in the draft, but still, at the end of the day, is one draft pick, and look how much that one decision on that one draft pick impacted our organization. I mean, thirty yeah. years later. Just right. you alter everything. I mean, everything with that yeah. one pick and not that every pick is that important, but they could be. Well, it goes beyond the draft. I mean, look at the, look at the John Smoltz trade with the Tigers for Doyle Alexander. Those were scouts that were up there in the minor leagues watching John pitch. And they had a choice, you know, they said, well, you know, the Tigers needed Doyle Alexander for a playoff run. And the Braves were just looking to get something in return. They, they're looking at their whole organization and they pick John Smoltz. Well, whoever that scout was or those scouts that determined that um, that knew John and had watched him and said, we need to we need to ask for him. And he comes over. That was a game changer for the Braves organization. You know, Tom Gladman was drafted in Boston. You know, Boston, they don't get to play a whole lot in the winter, you know, in, in, in a, early in the spring. So there's a lot of things that have to happen. And and. Um, it's just amazing what those guys do and the amount of time they put in. Like I, t- I told them, you know, I've got a soft spot in my heart for, for the scouts because I just know what they've meant to me and they meant to my career. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's a great discussion with Dana and um, I, I look forward to hopefully getting to do it again with him sometime, hopefully in person once uh, things are back to normal. So uh, we certainly did enjoy it and I think you all will as well. So without further ado, here he is Dana Brown. Hey, Dana, thanks so much for joining us on Behind the Braves. And it's great to finally meet you in person. I know we've we've uh, emailed back and forth. And for whatever reason, we've just been kind of a crazy time. I hadn't seen a lot of people at the office. So uh, so it's understandable we haven't really met in person yet. 
Yeah, I'm thrilled to be on today with you and Rick. I appreciate it, Greg. Thanks a lot. Yeah, well, thank you. I I saw a great picture um, earlier this week of you when you were playing at Seton Hall. I loved how how you were rocking the big square hat, you know, (laughs) back in the day. That's all we had. We didn't have those low-profile hats. So that brought me back. And uh, Ricky pointed out, Ricky was trying to find out if we actually played against each other in minor leagues. And uh, we kind of hit and missed, but uh, you did play in Reading, which I played there as a, an opponent, but uh, yeah. I really enjoyed Reading. So you got some good um, memories of the minor leagues? Yeah, uh, Reading, you know, outside of being only an hour and 40 minutes from the house, uh, it was great planning Reading. Um, you know, it was the Eastern League. Uh, I didn't have much power, but I could hit one out of that park. It wasn't, <laughs> uh, wasn't too bad in left field. Yeah, uh, but it was you know it was exciting. The league was pretty good that year. My memory of Reading is uh, I'll never forget they have the diner in right field, and Jim Tomey back in uh, I guess it was '91. He hit one, he hit one that was headed for that diner. I think it took a bounce in the middle of the street and uh, bounced into the diner parking lot. Boy, he had big power. Big yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, we played. I was in the Indians organization with him, uh, him and Albert Bell, and we had some big and up and coming guys, uh, you know, Ramirez and uh, Manny Ramirez. And so there, it was just amazing that time. That's who I was drafted by. That time period with the Indians is, of course, what ended up becoming, uh, you know, the team in the 90s, which uh, they were pretty stout. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. Pennsylvania had some of the best, best minor league cities. So I played all over that state and it being the Eastern league and, yeah. and uh, it was, it was good memories, but um, we can sit here all day and talk about the minor <laughs> leagues. Right. Uh, but man, you've uh, we, Ricky and I are definitely interested in, in scouting. We've been talking, of course we talk Braves baseball all the time and yeah. you're right in the epicenter of, of all that. Uh, with what's going on with Alex and and what this organization did. Give us a little overview of kind of what your day looks like um, as the VP of scouting. Yeah. So basically uh, I'm pretty much responsible for, I have 28 guys that are, that are working with me um, and I have to run that department. Um, And we have uh, roughly, I think it's about 16 scouts and then we have about nine cross checkers and then we have two other guys in the office uh, run it. Shaw and then Will Rich. Uh, And basically a day is just kind of, you know, directing traffic and trying to organize the staff to, you know, go out and scout the top players, work your way down from the top to to the lower end of the players. looks like the draft is going to be probably between 20 and 25 rounds, depending on what MLB finalized uh, the draft with. But for the most part, we try to get out and see uh, these kids, um, you know, it's the weather's not really great right now in some of the parts of the country, although they're still playing in Florida and some of the southern states, Texas and California. So we'll get out there. I got a tournament uh, tomorrow, actually, in Florida, see a bunch of high school kids. So I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, we just, you know, we have, of course, we have to be careful with the pandemic, still trying to get through that um, with the travel. But for the most part, you know, we're out and about. Uh, we're, we're kicking it off for the 2021 draft. 
That's great. Well, Dana, for me too, thank you for, for taking the time to, to join us. I'm so fascinated by, we've had Alex on a couple of times when Perry was with us. We've had, we had him on, we had Jason Apare on everybody that's involved in the front office, the baseball ops that are, that are responsible for assembling both the major league team and the farm system. It's just, I love getting to talk to you guys because I'm just so fascinated by how all of this comes together. So when you guys are, are in the process of scouting players and getting ready for the draft, I mean, just even when you said you're 28 people, I'm still sitting there thinking, man, even with 28 people, how do you like assemble and collect data on thousands of amateur players from all across the country? How many? All right, so how many players do you think your, your scouts just ballpark actually lay eyes on potential draft picks leading up to a draft like in a normal year? How many how many players are you guys actually going out and seeing by the time draft day rolls around? Yeah, we'll probably see over a thousand players between the entire staff. Uh, we'll probably turn in somewhere between seven and eight hundred, and just to be prepared for the draft. But it all starts, Rick, with um, the, the the local area scouts. These guys have a pretty good feel for these players. They've been seeing them. In some cases, for five years, you know, they've seen them since high school. Uh, And then in other cases, if they're high school players, they've been seeing them for like two to three years. So they have a pretty good feel for helping us to create, you know, our target list, which becomes our work order. You know, we just we get this list and we, we start, like I said, we start to work our way down that list and we try to see the top players multiple times because you hate to make a, a big money decision on a player that you're only seen once, you know, and I've been around, I've been in the game for 31 years and I know, you know, the more you see a player, the better you feel about that player and the better you get to know that player. Uh, so multiple looks is a big part of what we do. Of course, the further you go down in the draft, probably the less looks you get on the player. Uh, but it really starts with the local area scout. And then, you know, that it passes along to the regional cross checker and then to the national cross checker and then to myself. I'll start off with a list of guys, maybe about 50 guys that I target for the whole the whole spring. And then I'll expand that based on what our scouts are turning in. So we, I mean, we stay pretty busy, but it's a group effort. And then we have uh, guys like Will uh, in the office, Will Rich and Ronit, who really dig through uh, a lot of the analytic data and background. And we have Jason and his, his group of uh, research and uh, development, uh, the R&D group. They, um, you know, they dig through a lot of the information. So we get a little help from the R&D group. Uh, which expands our staff some, but at the end of the day, it's a group effort and we try to uh, line everything up based on, uh, you know, top to bottom and take the best player available for the Braves. So, so two, two follow-ups to that one, just for folks who don't know, just what, what is the role of a cross checker? Like what is actually, uh, what are the cross checkers doing? And then two broader scale, are you guys putting together, like, is there a, I assume a draft board of some sort? And then when do you, I mean, do you start assembling that at the beginning of the whole process and that, that sort of thing? And by the way, I guess is the, the final decision. So I guess is a three part uh-huh. now the final <laughs> Jeez, decision, Ricky. I know, I know, <laughs> Greg, I have so many questions I want to ask. I'm so That's bad. Cool. About that. Um, and on that board is, is the final decision ultimately on draft date. Does that lie with you? Yeah. So, the cross checkers, let's start off with the regional guys because they're very important. 
and they sort of supervise the re, uh, the area scouts. So each regional guy will probably have about four or five area scouts that he's responsible for. And the national cross checkers, they don't technically supervise those guys, but what they do is they get that first national look on the player. And in the process, they'll help to supervise, but it's not their main responsibility. Uh, so that's kind of like how you separate the cross checkers. So the national guys and myself, it's like all national looks. So at the end of the day, we get the national look, they get more of a regional and local look, and then we expand that out. And then we basically take all of our looks, we put our draft board together, we line them up. Um, and what we do in the beginning is we kind of compare apples to apples, where we try to keep you know, the high school guys with the high school guys, the college guys with the college guys. We get those lined up first, and then we start to blend and talk about the players as a, as, as a whole. You know, and in the final decision, I mean, I have, I have, of course, a big part in the final decision, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we will not pull the trigger on the player, you know, in those top rounds without uh, getting some insight from Alex and, and, and Jason and his R&D group. So we kind of combine the scouting looks with the analytic information, and then we get Alex involved, and then we pretty much make an, a decision uh, as an organization. Uh, I have a big... Uh, say in that, but I don't uh, have the final say in terms of if I want to take this guy and we have discomfort in another area where it's Alex or the R&D, we try to collectively put our minds together to take the best player uh, that's available based on our philosophy. And so, and that's kind of how we do it. uh, And and that's kind of how we line it up, but it's an exciting time. It's exciting going out to see the players and, you know, it's an important part of what we do. Dana, it seems like that back when you and I were playing, there was a lot more patience with players. And I don't know for whatever reason, it just seems like they're just expecting it to pop. It kind of reminds me of the stock market, man. If you don't, if it doesn't double trip on the first couple of days, you know, we're getting rid of it. And I don't know if that's changed. You've been in the game a long time. Mm-hmm. You said 30 plus years. Have you seen a difference in just the, the patience level with players. I know that players are getting to the big leagues a lot quicker, but they're not staying, you know, they're up and down. Whereas it seemed like it took us a while to get there, but once we got there, we had a better chance of staying. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is guys get so much money now. So we look for that early return on the players. A lot of the college guys are pretty much polished. So sometimes they'll get there sooner. Doesn't mean that they're going to be better players because some of these high school guys are kind of, just getting their stride and they're gaining strength because they have the young body and they're still starting to fill out. So yeah, there is a sense of the guys get there a little quicker and they're not staying. I kind of like it. I like to see guys move through the system, uh, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, But one of the things I would say is I'd rather that's, that's why it's a big part of what we do. We try to get the guy that has the natural strength, and a lot of time, that's sort of the natural strength and the mental makeup sort of becomes the separator of is that guy going to be, uh, you know, is it going to be sustainable? Is he going to be able to hold its value, so to speak? Because I, I tell people all the time, we go out and we watch these players. They're all talented. They all have big league ability. Um, but, you know, a big part of the separator is the mental makeup and the physical strength of the player. And that's what allows the player to, you know, have a longer career 
Um, you know, and you know, you have some of these guys are just not physically strong enough or they're mentally weak, you know, they just can't handle the up and downs of baseball where there's so much failure involved that you have to keep pressing on. So uh, that's where we focus a lot of our attention as well on the mental side and the natural strength to see if this guy is going to be able to do, as you say, is he going to be able to stick and stay, or is he going to be an up and down guy? Because that's the separator. You know, they all have ability. It's the separators, the, the physical strength and the makeup. Well, I, I love that. And I think the biggest thing I learned in the Meyer leagues is to have some of those battles of perseverance and uh, understanding what a long season's like. And I just, it, it, it I don't know. I see so many times some of these guys that are up there in the big leagues. They've never struggled. You know, they're struggling on the biggest stage. I mean, I mean, I just think about one season in double A. I was in the Eastern League. I had more complete games in, in a month than these guys will have their whole career. Mm-hmm. Now I know the 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 philosophies change, but you learn a lot when you when you pitch that much. Mm-hmm. You know, because what I pitched in one month, they're pitching in three. You know, four months. You know, it seems like because of the amount of innings. So there's something that you learn about your body. There's something you learn about your mind. You learn about the struggle of a game, of a, you know, of an inning, that what's it like to pitch when I'm in the seventh inning and I'm through the, earth, through the order a third time and I'm tired? How do I get this guy out? So there's some creativity. To it. So I think there's just a lot of things that the minor leagues provides. And I think it's a shame. I, I completely understand the economics of the game and understand how it is. But I just remember how much I really learned. And when I was when I finally got to the big leagues and pitched, man, it served me so well because I was mentally prepared, physically prepared. And, um, you know, there's just there's a lot more we require out of these guys. So I'm, I'm not so surprised when they struggle, you know, in the big leagues nowadays. Yeah, and, and a big part of that is not learning how to pitch, so to speak, in, in, in that respect that you were talking about. So you take Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, remember when he was in the game, he, he would locate, he would have the ball moving. When Maddox was younger, he threw harder, you know, but he had to learn those things about location, 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 right. and get the ball to move a little bit. And those are some of the lessons that the guys aren't learning. They're just going out there and they're just throwing hard and trying to touch 96, you know, and they're not learning that, hey, I could locate this fastball. I, mean, I could locate this changeup. I can get the guy to roll over. I don't have to waste eight pitches per at bat, <laughs> you know, hey. on each guy. So my pitch counts up to 50 after two innings. You know, and so they didn't learn those things, Greg, where they like, as you were saying, they didn't learn how to work their body, how to, you know, pull back the throttle a little bit. And and they just these are some of the lessons I think that, as you said, they're learning in the big leagues. Uh, But uh, I like some of the colleges have started to teach some of this stuff. Hey, locate, learn how to pitch down on a man on first, get that ground ball, roll it over, double play. Uh, You know, I think those are important parts of the game where guys can extend their career and, and pitch a little longer as opposed to just coming and, you know, trying to throw 94 to 98 every pitch and you're going to overpower these hitters. You can't overpower major league hitters. Yeah. They could hit right. 9, <laughs> 92, 91. They can hit them That's all. right. So, but that's a big part of it, that learning curve. Yeah, I agree. Well, I just I wanted to um, just say I, I really believe that scouting – the people in scouting are kind of some unsung heroes. And I, I just would want to say, and I, uh, Roy Clark was, was kind of my, was the scout that signed me with the Indians and he signed me with the Braves. And of course you, you took over for him um, a couple years ago with the Braves. 
And Roy uh, was amazing in my life because he showed up at one of my minor league games when I was ready to quit. And he really encouraged me. And just out of the blue, he came to check in on me. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I know that because he was just um, he just came and encouraged me at a time that I really needed. And there's so many times the scouts do that. And of course, you were on you were doing, you know, uh, the scouting with the Pirates when you first started. And, and then you moved, you know, up coordinating and cross checking and, and doing what you do today. But, man, there's so many guys out there. We have alumni that are doing the same thing. They're beating the bushes. They're checking on these kids They're meeting. They're meeting with their families. And that is just um, it is just a tough job. But it's also there's so many guys that I talk to that, man, we have such a soft spot in our hearts for for our scouts because they were there when we didn't know anything about baseball. You know, yeah. we were trying to make it. And um, so I just appreciate what you're doing and, and encouraging those guys. And and plus, you're employing some of our alumni, which is great. So we got some yeah. guys out there that are that are doing that. But I just yeah, I just want to tell everybody, too, that just man, scouts. They got a, they got a special place in my heart because I know that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you know for Roy. So yeah, you make an interesting point, Greg, because uh, you know I exchanged text messages with Chris Young, who got the GM job in uh, uh, Texas with the Rangers, and I signed Chris out of Princeton. I was a local scout here for the Pirates back then in the Northeast, and you know Chris and I have known each other since we since the draft, and I think it was '99 or 2000. He was in Princeton. And I was an area scout, so I kind of know what you and Roy got, you know, that special thing where you kind of keep in touch. And, you know, Roy Clark's had a good career here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He signed a lot of good major league players, and it, there's tough shoes to fill. You, you know, you're coming behind a guy like Roy Clark. He had a lot of – he had a good relationship with a lot of the players that he drafted. And, you know, they drafted a lot of good players here, and that's why we try to, you know, really keep the emphasis on taking good players. Atlanta has been – really good at uh, drafting, signing, developing their players. So those are big shoes to follow. And and a lot of – I hear a lot of the same stories from a lot of the players that they all remember, you know, going back and that guy that came to see them and signed them. And those things are important. And we try to encourage our guys, you know, hey, if you get an opportunity, make sure you stay connected with your, with your players that you – you know, that you draft and, and, and that you sign and, 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 you know, talk them through it. Uh, because those are some long, long seasons in the minor leagues, 162 exactly. leagues, you know, 140 roughly in the minor leagues. And um, it's a grind. You're away from your family. Um, so there's some things that you have to go through. And it's important that when you have scouts that come alongside and, and, and give you the encouragement. That's another part of our job that people really don't see you know, because that's dealing with, you know, the mental, the makeup side and encouraging the guys. Dana, when talking about that and in the mental side of it and the makeup side of it, when you're looking at potential draft picks, and I mean, we're talking about 17, 18 year old kids in a lot of cases, or if they're in college, maybe a little bit older, but are there, are there ways of trying to identify uh, an 18 year old kid's makeup and his mental a toughness, if you will. I mean, I, I don't know outside of talking to them. I mean, I know that's an inexact science, like a lot of things, but are there ways of trying to identify like that side of this kid's got it or they, or they don't have it? Yeah. And one of the things that we do, uh, Rick, we try to, uh, you know, go watch these kids play other sports, right? So we'll go to a basketball game or a football game 
will talk to their football coaches, their basketball coaches, their baseball coaches. How often do they miss practice? Are they there all the time? You know, that's part of the grind that you have to go through in baseball because it's an everyday thing for about seven months and sometimes even longer. So we we dig on the makeup and, you know, we 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 watch how hard they play the game. You know, I remember I played with Biggio in college who ended up being a Hall of Famer. And we had that 10 step rule in college. If you, if you hit the ball, you had to run through first base. You know, if you ground it out just to make sure you, you would run to the outfield grass. And I, I mean, Craig Biggio, even in the big leagues, he was still running to the outfield grass. You know, he still had that same mental makeup competitor, probably one of the most fierce competitors I've ever played with, you know, in my career. But, you know, those are some of the things that you look at, the way they go about their daily uh, business and how hard they work and practice and things like that. And we do it a lot of that. And in fact, when we go to uh, high school games in California, we have to go, they can't take batting practice before the game. So we have to go to their practice. You know, I remember when we were scouting Darno back when he came out of high school, we had to go to his practice and we had to watch him play. And I remember him going to the outfield and running around shagging balls. Meanwhile, he was a catcher, but he was running all over the place, high energy in high school. So you remember things like that. And now to see him catch for us, it's like, man, I knew that guy had something in him, you know? So those are the things that we try to look for to find out how bad they want it. Can they actually taste it? Talk to the coaches, try to find out the information. We get, we gather information from wherever you'd be surprised who we ask. We'll ask umpires. We'll ask all, all kinds of people. That's really good. Yeah. That's brilliant. yeah. If you're going to spend that money, you yeah. better, uh, better know all about them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was curious, Dana. Um, how did you, we, we all, it's, I love talking to people in the front office because everybody has a story of how they ended up in, in the big leagues, uh, yeah. or working in baseball. How did you, how did that transition from professional player to scout? How did that come about for you? Yeah. So it's an interesting story. I remember in spring training in 1992, they released me and offered me a coaching job in the same sentence. I'll never forget it. I left, <laughs> I left the meeting. I called my wife and said, Hey, I got good news and I got bad news. And so <laughs> bad news is I just got released. The good news is they offered me a coaching job, you know? So I did that for two years in the minor leagues, you know? Um, and then after coaching for two years, I went into scouting started off at the bottom as an area scout, you know, uh, running around in the Northeast. And, you know, once I, I got that opportunity, I remember competing against Omar Manaya. We were both area scouts at the time. And in Omar, he never forgot. I was a competitive guy. I came in, they were like, who's this young guy coming in signing players? And in Omar, uh, when uh, I was part of the Bud Selig thing, when he gave Omar the job, for uh, the, the Expos when he gave him the general manager job and he was trying to get more minorities in the game in, in the front office. And so I was part of the whole Bud Selig's uh, mission to get more minorities in the front office. So he hires Omar. Omar hires me as the scouting director and I've been in the front office, you know, ever since. And I, actually, I when I got hired there, I hired Alex and we grew together as baseball people uh, Alex was my assistant, and, and that's kind of like how my career path took off. So I was I was fortunate enough because a lot of guys get released and they go home. You know, I was fortunate enough that Dale Unser, when he released me, said, hey, you're a good baseball man. 
So we want to keep you around. And uh, I was very fortunate to, you know, to be in the game and to grow and and to develop, you know, as um, got my phone ringing there, and, and, <laughs> and, right. and develop as a uh, you know as a baseball man. So it's a you, your career takes these you know turns, and you you never understand the turns when you're going through them, but it starts to come together. You know, it's like the backside of a tapestry. You you flip it over, mm-hmm. you understand it. You know. That's a great word. I heard Bobby Bobby Cox tells the same story when he got released by the Yankees, and immediately they had identified him as being a guy that they wanted to keep in the organization. And you know, he went right into to managing rookie ball, and um, so I mean, I, I can see that, and and I know that um, you know we've talked over the years. I've been in the organization a long time, and specifically in the role that I'm in as alumni director, there's a lot of guys that are transitioning. So I'm really concerned about how guys transition and, you know, and you, it's great when you can identify guys that you see that, man, they see, you probably see in them what they can't see in themselves. And I'm sure somebody saw that about you. And one of the things I want to ask you, you know, we're here in the middle of black history month and this organization has been traditionally with Bill Lucas and Hank Aaron and um, just been phenomenal. And, and uh, even Mr. B, Mr. Bartholomew, who brought the team here, signed Satchel Page so that he could get his pension. Um, signed him after he might have been 50 years old, I think, at the time. Just signed him for three months so he could get his pension. Um, just just got an amazing history of what this organization has done. And, and I'm involved in growing the game, as you well know, with Major League Baseball and what we're doing here in Atlanta. We feel like that we're kind of setting – uh, the precedent on what it looks like to, to bring in more uh, black athletes into the game of baseball. So I, I'm curious from your standpoint, I guess uh, going with Ricky, I've got a two part question. Number one, do you feel like, uh, do you see your position is, is um, you know, that you're, that you're leading the way, you know, because you were part of that, what you just described with Bud Selig early on and Omar Manaya. Do you feel like that you have a torch to carry and, and something special about what you're doing outside of you have a very special job, but just, you know, as it, as it being a, a, a black professional, but also, um, you know, with these kids, how, how are we going to get these great athletes? Why is it beginning to, or why has it been decreasing? And can you see a trend where we're turning that, um, that problem? Yeah. So that's a, there's a lot of moving parts to that, Greg. Um, but what I would say is I do feel that I have somewhat of a call to uh, because of my vision as a player growing up and understanding some of the players, you know, in the African-American community. Um, so I'm able to scout a lot of those players. You know, I'm able to get into some of those communities. I know that there's good things going on, you know, like we have the, you know, the Hank Aaron, you know, the classic 44, you know, we have the RBI, we have things that are going on that we're getting into some of these communities and, and, and giving these players an opportunity to play. The big thing in, in, in baseball is that we're just not getting the athletes to play the sport. That's another problem. So we have so many moving parts on this thing. And I tell people all the time, you've got to create an opportunity for these guys to get into the game, you know, um, and then they'll come and play. 
uh, a lot of uh, the players in the African-American community, they're playing basketball, they're playing mm-hmm. football. You know, a lot of the good athletes are not playing baseball. And it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, because I grew up in the 70s watching these guys play and it was more African-American players. And now it's down to like seven or eight percent, uh, you know, when you look at it. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of programs that are starting the RBI. Like I said, the you know, the 44 Classic, there's things that. Uh, that are being created to kind of open the door back up. And you're seeing, and Georgia is a big part of it. You know, a lot of African-American players come out of the state of Georgia. There's some very good players and there's some good things going on. You know, so creating that diversity is big. I remember uh, when Stan Casting came to to the Nationals when I was there, he created a diversity program. I remember we hired Dan Nellum and we hired um, Karen Jackson. Those two guys are still in the game. You know, uh, in fact, MLB just hired their, uh, Carrick Jackson for a position in their office. So I think having a vision like that, um, you know, to create and open up doors of opportunity is big. Uh, I like what Derek Schiller's doing and then Doretta Rose with the diversity uh, council that we have here. Uh, that's big. Um, I think it's creating dialogue uh, that we didn't have before. I think it's a wonderful uh, thing that's going on in the game. And there's, they're creating also positions, whether it's going to be in marketing, whether it's going to be in scouting, um, you know, and I, I remember like back when I was playing and I don't know if you remember, Greg, I never got scouted by a black scout. I never saw a black scout. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you did, but I, I never saw, and I was telling people and they were like, what? I was like, yeah, I never saw a black scout. So now you do see black scouts out there, so, you know, it's, it's, it's opening up a door of opportunity. And I think this door, is, 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 it's been a good thing. And, you know, it's not about making baseball all black, uh, but it's about creating an opportunity for other people to play the sport. And as I said, when I talked before, you know, black and white, we've stood alongside of each other for a long time, you know, even during, you know, the civil rights movement, and other things that we wanted to create change. So it's never going to be like, oh, there's this black movement. No, there's there's a movement of creating diversity that's important, you know, in the sport. And I think it's going to it's going to be for the better of the sport, you know. So it's it's it's, it's an exciting. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's this is now we've been doing this show since uh, fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. So this is the third third time around now where we've gotten to do some shows that are in the theme of black history month. And, and I've asked the same question. I think you've already answered it, but I, I always ask the question. I asked it to Hank when we had him on in 2019 and Marquise Grissom uh, and Bob Kendrick from the Negro leagues museum last year. And my question is always, and it's, it's a genuine question from my heart as somebody that for my entire life, I've loved this game. I love this game so much. It's, it's, it's why I work in it. I'm passionate about it. And I want to see the best young athletes, American athletes, as many of them as we can have. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love basketball. I love football, but baseball is my love. And that's where I just want as many of our best young American athletes to have a chance to play this game and hopefully play this game. So I always ask, what can we as an industry be doing a better job of to to basically get more young African-American athletes playing the game of baseball? And I think you, the, the key word you just said there to me is opportunity. 
is providing opportunities. And what I really love about what you just said there too, is it's not just playing the game, but giving more people chances, creating diversity in our front offices and in other areas of the game. And it's, uh, it's, 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 it's great to see, because even in the three years that we've been talking about this and I've asked that question, it seems like there has been, you know, I don't know what the percentages are at the playing level, but at least from a front office perspective, I've started to see positive change and more people, more diverse people, having more opportunities and chances. So at the end of the day, at the base level, it just comes down to opportunity, correct? And providing yeah, that. You, yeah, you have to have the opportunity. You know, I tell, like people always ask me, hey, do you have aspirations of becoming a general manager? I said, yeah, sure. You know, I can't knock any doors down, but I would love to get the opportunity to become a general manager. Uh, that's an area where I still think it's light in our sport. Uh, you know, of the, I think it was eight front office positions open this offseason and I think there was only one minority hired in Kim Yang uh, with the uh, Marlins so there was uh, some African Americans uh, interviewed so but there's some area I think we could we could get some you know some type of groundswell at some point but for the most part that's an area where I think it's still light but I think we've done a, a, a good job of getting this ball rolling in the industry uh, like I said, whether it's RBI or the 44 Classic or, or diversity groups and meetings and different things that are taking place, just to be aware of what's going on. And I like that there's participation from all sides, from all ethnicities, uh, which is which is a good thing. Uh, and I think the more diverse we become, the stronger the game is going to get. Um, and I'm not one of those that want to... Uh, push uh, opportunities away from anyone. I think there's enough room for us all to enjoy the sport. And whether you're black, white, Hispanic, or Asian, I think there's room, there's opportunity here in, in, in this sport. But we have to create more opportunity for others. Yeah, Dana, you know as well as I do, being on a team, I never looked at it as black and white. I just, I wanted the best players on the team. You know, I wanted the best catcher. I wanted the best first base. And I was very fortunate to play with Fred McGriff, Ron Gant, Terry Pendleton, Marvin Freeman, Marquise Grissom, Dion, Otis, uh, Otis Nixon. Um, so I just, you know, they, they were teammates, you know, we, there wasn't now how they got there is more of what we're talking about, you know, but they had the opportunity to play and, that's that's what um, you know. That's what if there's some you know inequity there of how people are getting scouted, how they're getting seen, then that's what I love about what you know. I get a chance to work with Adrian Williams, who you know, yeah. and Adrian's been doing a great job um, working on this, and we've been really partnering with HBCUs. And uh, so we had Ralph Gar on, and Ralph's a, a buddy of mine. Obviously, Ralph's you know Hall of Famer with the Braves, and. And uh, he was so excited because we got the Ralph Gar Bill Lucas Classic that's coming up this year, which is two HBCU teams are going to be playing at either Turner Field, I'm mean, Turner Field, either at Truist uh, or um, or over in, in Gwinnett. So mm -hmm. it is amazing how just doing that one thing, how we've been supporting the HBCUs, just getting that momentum going and helping them support their baseball programs. Because when I heard that Morehouse College had one scholarship, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. How in the world do you have a baseball team with one scholarship? Right. Um, so those just just that fact alone 
that's got, that would that's how you could impact a program just by changing that one thing. And that's what we're talking about. That's where there's no opportunity when you have one scholarship. Even though the NCAA doesn't give us many to begin with, but still, 10 and a half, is it 10 and a half now? Yeah, 10 and a half, 11. To, to one. So now it's already bad enough at the major college level. Then right. you take that down to one. I mean, how in the world? It's not sustainable. You can't, you can't operate with those numbers like that. Um, but yeah, the Braves is doing a good job with the HBCUs. It's been outstanding with the support, which, you know, we like to see. Um, I think creating those opportunities is a big part of it though. And I'm with you. I want the best player, you know, honestly, when I go out to scout and we pull that name tag for the draft, we want this player to have as great an impact as he could for the Atlanta Braves. You know, we do not want to be in a position where we're sacrificing better players just to make it more diverse. You know, a good part of what we do is we go through the analytics, so we have to cross-check ourselves before we even pull the names of the players. We have something in our draft room called the breathalyzer test, you know? <laughs> we, 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 have all, we have a bunch of the mistakes that we've made in the past, and we kind of go through those mistakes and say, hey, this is our breathalyzer. You know, we don't want to get overly excited about this one player. Uh, how does he line up historically with, these, with this player taken in this spot? You know, and, and and we we have certain things in place to cross check ourselves that we don't get too excited about. You know, one player, regardless of his race, but we just we we have to be in a position where we let the iron sharpen the iron. You know, we have to come together and work it out. That's awesome. Well, um, that's all I had. I know I, this has been a great conversation, and I I always appreciate and, and Ricky. Um, Mentioned we had Jason on, RA, and we've had uh, we had Perry on um, last year during the winter meeting, mm-hmm. and we've had Alex on. But it's just always fascinating. It's great to talk to you guys because this is truly behind the Braves. So whenever we talk about guys in the organization, because we know your job doesn't stop. I mean, it's 365 days a year. So you, the season may be over, but you're you're probably working a little bit harder. But we appreciate you being on with us. Ah, I love it. Thanks, Greg, a lot for having me on. Ricky, I appreciate it, too. Uh, you know, go Braves. Let's get it done. Let's do it. Way to go. Way to sign Marcel. Hopefully we could do a little bit more of these. These are these are fun. This is yeah. This is kind of like getting away from the hustle and bustle of all the scouting, you know, the planes, the airports, and all that other stuff, and just sitting back and talking baseball and remembering some of the things that we've been through. And, and, and Greg, you bring up some good points about – you know, what we went through in the minor leagues and, you know, Eastern League, whatever it was, you know, those things, you, you start talking about those memories and think about the, you know, the hills that we have to climb to get to where we want to get to to sort of put this thing together to build a championship club. That's what Very we're good. We appreciate you guys as well. Yeah, we Thank appreciate you, you. Thank you. Yeah, and that's what we love doing the show, just sitting down and talking baseball. And hopefully if uh, – things kind of if the vaccine starts uh, getting out there and things start getting back to normal. We can do this again, but all together at the ballpark sometime. So that would be great. <laughs> Amen. All right. All be right. safe, guys. Appreciate right. you. Thank you, Dana. All right. Thank you. Time. See you, Dana. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Braves country. We just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or at braves.com slash behind the Braves or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.